understand all the amazing things that Jesus would do when he grows up. And then I think a little bit further, and I think, what about all of us who have little ones? Can we imagine all the amazing things that God wants to do through our little ones? So that's the song. church. Our scripture reading today is found in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. May God have his blessing to the reading of his word. Morning, church. Are you awake now? Sorry about that. Did you see all those young people up here? Wasn't that beautiful? That just warms my heart. Hey, uh, children, children, listen. Can you hear me? Thank you for bringing your parents to church. Amen? 
So before we get started with the message, let's have a short prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open up your holy word, Lord, we pray that you will bless us, that we will hear your voice, and that we will respond to it, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this message would help prepare us for eternity with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, it's the, the Christmas season. My, my family and I are going to go away, uh, go back home and spend some time with, uh, with, our, with our parents. And uh, so this is probably the last time I'll see you until next year. But as I was thinking about this time of year, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I have, that during this time of year, uh, it seems that most people seem to act a little nicer towards one another. They're a little more courteous, and they're a little more thoughtful. Well, at least except for the Black Friday sales, right? So it is a time, it is a time that the world has drawn its attention to the fact that Christ was born. That he came to this world and he lived. You know, Jesus being born in Bethlehem as a little baby is not the full story, though. There's so much more to it. I'm reminded that God gave messages to his people far in advance of Christ's coming. So I'm going to share with you some of those prophecies about the first coming. And we're going to get a glimpse that God is in control. He knows the beginning from the end. And when he gives his word and he promises something to us, he will fulfill it. You know, that was so vitally important to me when my family, my wife and I at least at that point, went to an evangelistic series some 25 years ago or so. And the first night, the very first night, the evangelist got up and I'm still friends with him today, he got up, and the very first thing he did was he opened up Daniel. And he went to the, the Daniel 2 where they have the, the image, and he preached on that image. And I thought, wow, there's a God in heaven that can tell everything that's going to happen. And he told it to us with pinpoint accuracy. This, it was amazing to me. I don't know if that has an impact for you, but it had a tremendous impact for me. It changed my life. To know that there truly was a God, if he can tell hundreds and sometimes thousands of years in advance what will happen, and then it happens exactly as he says it would, there must be a God. And that message rings true with Christ. Here we, in Galatians, Paul writes these words in verse 4. He says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, there's nothing amazing or spectacular news there about a man being born of a woman, is there? But what drew my attention to this text was in the fullness of time. And when I first became a Christian and read that, it meant nothing to me. Because I hadn't gone to those, that series, that prophecy series yet. And I didn't understand what the fullness of time meant. Until in Daniel chapter 9, 
the evangelist read these words. Daniel chapter 9, beginning with verse 24. My Bible reads this way. Seventy weeks have been decreed or promised for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make anointment, an atonement, I'm sorry, for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and, having, and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wind of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that will is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. You know, that, was, that prophecy was made in Daniel's time, 600 B.C., 600-some years before Christ would be born in Bethlehem there. And it wasn't until after the prophecy was fulfilled, and well after that, into the 1800s, that people began to really understand what was being said here. Jesus would come exactly on time. Is God's timing perfect? Absolutely. Aren't you glad for that? The reason why it's important for us to understand that we can trust God's word is because he's made a very powerful promise to us. He's made a, a promise that he will come again and that he goes to prepare a place for us. How can we trust that if we don't know that we can trust what he's already told us? Jesus came, you see the decree went out in 457 B.C. to rebuild and restore the temple and the city in Jerusalem. What made this decree special was that it came with funds to do it, and it came with authority for the Jewish people to rule over themselves. So 457 B.C., they go back to Jerusalem, they begin rebuilding the city, and we come down to 31 A.D. That is in the midst of this week. You come to the birth of Christ and his life, ministry, his death on the cross prophesied hundreds of years in advance and fulfilled just as prophecy tells us. Well, how, how do we know that God knew exactly what was going to transpire? Well, let's take a look at some other verses. Let's go to Jeremiah now. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23, 
And we're going to look at verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely, and do, just, do justice and righteousness in the land. It had been prophesied by Jeremiah that Jesus would be born into the lineage of David. You see, that's important for us to understand because to the, the, to the Jewish people at that time, David was the one to look to as, uh, as, their, as their king of kings. He, it was a time when, when Jerusalem was, was at, at its pinnacle. And so they esteemed David very highly. And it was prophesied that the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, would come through the house of David. You know, it's, a, it's amazing that this, is, this happens because it wasn't Mary that had the lineage of David, but it was his earthly father, Joseph, that came from that lineage. And we'll see that the Bible also prophesies in Micah chapter 5 where Jesus would be born. And this is a miracle as well, my friends. Micah chapter 5, verses, uh, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephraim, too little be among, uh, I'm sorry, too little to be among the clans of Judea, from you one will go forth uh, for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This has to be talking about Jesus, my friends. You see, Jesus has no beginning, has no end. He's been part of the Godhead forever and ever. Prophesied about exactly where he would be born. But Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth. How was Jesus going to be born in Bethlehem? Well, God used civil authorities. You see, he has power over them as well. Amen? He used civil authorities to make a decree that, that everyone had to return to their ancestral home for a census. And it was just happenstance that this decree went out when Mary was about to give birth. Do you think that's true? I don't believe in coincidence or happenstance. God's timing again was perfect. The decree went out from Caesar to go and return for this census. So Joseph and Mary, now by show of hands, how many of you ladies would like to be nine months pregnant and ride on a donkey for 90 miles? I didn't see any hands go up. No, uh, in fact, there were some people that, that I've talked to recently, they said they weren't going to travel home for Christmas because the, their, their wife was, was, was pregnant and about to have a, a, a baby next month. You want to stay close to home when those, things, when those events are happening, amen? So they went, they traveled 90 miles. Mary on the back of a donkey and Joseph walking. So that Jesus would fulfill God's word. 
exactly as it was prophesied. Hundreds of years in advance. Let's go to Malachi now. And God gives another very special message. He gives a promise that the Messiah would be preceded by a a special individual. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. My Bible reads this way. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Jesus would be preceded by Elijah. And to to give some sense to that, John the Baptist was known to be uh, uh, the Elijah that would precede Jesus. Jesus, uh, John would go into the wilderness and deliver a message that the Messiah was coming. How about this? In three different references, we won't go there just now, but in three different Old Testament references, God gives us information in Psalms 45, Isaiah 11, and Psalm 61 that Jesus would be anointed of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's why they call him the Messiah, the anointed one. You know, there wasn't just prophecies about Jesus' birth, though. There were prophecies about his life and certain events. Now, I'm only touching on a a select few, my friends. There are so many more than what we'll cover this morning. But prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was even born was information about his betrayal. And one of those little nuggets was the price which would be paid for Jesus' betrayal. Do you remember what that price was? 30 pieces of silver. Now that seems like a a very specific number, don't you think? Could have been for some amount of money. They could have said, well, for for a large sum or for a great amount. But it says, let's go there, Zechariah chapter 11, just one book back from where we're at in Malachi. Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 2. Wail, O Cyprus, for the, Caesar, uh, for the cedar has fallen, because the glorious trees have been destroyed. Wail, O oaks of ba- um, Bashan. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong. I have the wrong reference here? Oh, it'd be, it'd be nice if I read the right verse. <laughs> sorry about that. Verse 12. Let's go there. Let, let's, I think this will make more sense. I said to them, it is good in your sight. Give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. This is a reference to the, to the 30 shekels of silver, uh, the temple shekels that would be paid to his betrayer, uh, Judas, his follower. 
Well, was there anything else? Who was Judas, by the way? Judas was one of his disciples. He had followed him throughout his ministry. Judas was the one that was in charge of the treasury, if you will, the purse strings. And he became a friend to Jesus. Now, Jesus did everything he could to keep Judas faithful to him. But Judas had another game plan. Judas, Judas had the plan of forcing Jesus to become the king that they had anticipated he would be, not the savior they were hoping for. Did you know that you cannot be betrayed by an enemy? You can only be betrayed by a friend. It was prophesied in Psalm 41 and verse 9 that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. And then in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, This whole chapter, by the way, is all about Jesus. But I want to draw your attention to verse 12. Isaiah 53 and verse 12. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was, here's the important part I want you to hang on to, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Now, for us to truly understand this verse and why it's important, is we have to understand what was, what were the Jewish people anticipating what kind of Messiah were they looking for? They were looking for a Messiah that would come and expel the Roman Empire and reestablish the greatness of Israel here on earth. He would rebuild the temple the way it was and the city and they would govern themselves and they would be a mighty empire again. They couldn't even imagine that this Messiah would be born to suffer for them. They couldn't imagine that he would be numbered with the transgressors. You see, elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us that a curse is him who hangs on a tree. So how is it that the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people, could possibly die on a cross? It went beyond what they were able to understand and comprehend. But yet God prophesied it hundreds of years in advance. In Isaiah 53 and verse 12, I'm sorry. Yeah, it says that he would be betrayed by trans, uh, I'm sorry, numbered with the transgressors. In Zechariah 12 and verse 10, it says that he would be pierced. Isaiah 53 and verse 9. Since we're here in Isaiah, let's turn back to verse 9. And Isaiah writes these words. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man, he was with, with a rich man in his death, 
because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. You know, Jesus hung there on Calvary's cross, dying a criminal's death with criminals on each side of him. This certainly didn't fit the picture of a conquering king, did it? Can you imagine? Could you, can you imagine that the, the, the Jesus that they were hoping for became the Jesus that we know and love today? They couldn't understand that plan of salvation that God had. You see, Jesus' birth is so much more important for us today than just being born in Bethlehem and the world focusing their attention around this time of the year. You know, my daughter brought it to my attention that a lot of people, when they think about Christmas, what they think about is receiving presents and gifts and spending time with each other. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes our sole focus, and we lose sight of what this holiday season is all about, and I know the pagan origins around the date and all that. But the importance of bringing the world's attention to Jesus certainly is something that we can take advantage of. As people's hearts are warmed to the idea that Jesus has come here and they think more about their spiritual state of being, I mean, look around today. Look how full the church is. You know, I guess when I first... uh, came in, uh, to be exposed to Christianity in my teens, I became a, uh, a two-timer. You ever heard of that term, two-timer? I use it in this sense. You come to church two times a year, Easter and Christmas. But God, you know, sent his son here that we might have a relationship with him 365 days a year. Amen? When God gives his word, can we trust him? Can we believe in a God that would send his own son here to suffer a thief's death on a cross that we might be saved? You know, one of the most important prophecies about Jesus we find in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2. The Bible says that he will revive us after two days. He will rise up, uh, raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Jesus died that day, was crucified, was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he didn't stay there. You know what what distinguishes Christianity from all the other religions of the world? Is that we have a risen Savior. Amen? We worship a living God. If you look at the religions of the world, you look to Buddha, 
They know that he lived and he died. Muhammad, they even know where he's buried, so you can go visit his, his body. All the other religions of the world have a living God. A God that is not only living, but loves them. You know, I want to close with with um, Acts chapter 10. Luke writes here, Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 38 through 40. You know that Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were uh, possessed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. I'm so grateful to God that he is a God of beginnings and ends. He knows the beginning from the end. He's a creator God that loves us with an everlasting love. He's willing to send his own son here, not just to be born in a manger as a baby, but to, to suffer his entire life for us and then to die in our place that we might have eternal life. I don't know about you, but I can love a God like that. And I can want to serve Jesus because of what he's done for me. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we gather together in this season in our family units, I pray, Lord, that our, our hearts will be drawn to Jesus not just as a little babe in a manger, but Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer. Jesus as one who came here and suffered on our behalf, was crucified, died, and was buried, but Lord that lives today. I thank you that we, we, live a, a, uh, we serve a, li a living Savior, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that by thinking about what Christ has done for us, meditating on the great work that he did on Calvary's cross, that we might be prepared for your soon coming. You promised it, Lord. We see now through your holy word that when you give a promise, you keep it. So, Lord, we pray that you would put that faith in us, that even though falling apart around us. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to keep our focus on what's true and what's right found in your holy word. Prepare us for your soon coming, Lord. Prepare us for eternity in your kingdom. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
our closing hymn is hymn number 